Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, I mean, glory be to the Father and to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, one God, I mean, it's great to be back and I miss you all. And I have a story to tell you. So there is this man traveling in a faraway country, and it was about around the same time that the gospel was uh, telling us about late afternoon, and he started getting hungry. So he thought, what would you do if you were in his situation? If you're hungry, you're in a strange land, you're traveling, probably pull out your phone, Google something. Okay? So he felt like, maybe I'll try something different. So he approached one of the locals, and he asked him, what would you recommend? So his response shocked him. He told them, I'm the worst person to ask because I live here. The best person to ask are other tourists because they do research. They f- try to find out what is happening, what is good here, what other people are saying, what the experiences of others are. I live here. I lived here my whole life. I've probably gone to like three restaurants in my entire life. And I'm probably not going to try anything new uh, ever. I'm just going to keep going to the same places I go to. And that was even with my experience. When I went, I went to Egypt one year and I went to the Red Sea and I wanted to go up to Mount St. Catherine. And I asked the locals, I'm like, what's the best way to go up? So they said, you have to go in the middle of the night, you have to start the hike. And it takes about three, four, maybe five hours, depending how fast you walk. So you start at the bottom of the mountain where the monastery of St. Catherine is. And you start around 1, 2 a.m. And you keep going because if you do it in the morning, it's too hot. So it's, it's desert. So it's very hot to do that hike up the mountain daylight so you have to do it at night and it's pitch black it's a mountain there are no tra- no lights so you have to go and you have to know your path through the mountain how would you know your path through the mountain so one of the people there said that your best bet well there are a few options you can hire a guide which is expensive or uh, you can hire uh, someone with a camel and you can ride the camel and the camel will do it for you. And I'm like, no, I'm not here to, to do that. Like, I want to do it myself. So it's like your best bet then is to just wait. Wait till you see a group of tourists because they're usually going to have a, a tour guide and you just follow them up the mountain. And they're going to have a guide and lights and everything. And all the way up the mountain, every 20 minutes or so, you see a tent where there's like a mini makeshift cafeteria. You sit down and there are drinks, there's tea, there's coffee, there's water, and everything is three. Three of whatever you have, because they have tourists from all over the world. If you have euros, it's three euros. If you have dollars, three dollars. Pounds, if you have three guinea, it's it's just three of whatever you have. And then you go all the way up the mountain and you get there around 6 a.m., which is like right before sunrise and it's freezing. And when you get up there, just budget for about 20, not three, 20 for a cover. Because they rent covers up there. So you can cover up waiting for the sun to rise. And that was really the best way to get up there. Wait for other tourists and go together. And it's ironic because 
I remember when I came from Egypt, I thought I was the only one who never been to the pyramids. I thought I was the only one who's never been Luxor, Aswan, uh, all the archaeological, historical sites. I thought like, you know, my parents didn't uh, uh, take me to all those wonderful places that every Egyptian parent should take their kids and teach them about the culture and about the history. And it turns out, it's not just Egyptian parents, it's a lot of people around the world. Most people don't go to the historical sites of their own land, their own nation. Most historical sites are visited by tourists, by travelers, by people coming from other cultures. They're interested coming in, find out what's going on. There's a sort of eagerness. They want to know, they want to discover. And uh, they find that the natives of the land, they take things, they tend to take things for granted. They feel like, we, we already know. There's nothing more to learn. There's not, it's, it's boring. Like, what am I going to go do there and look at, you know, three rectangles or triangle? Like, it's boring. I know everything there is to know. I've seen pictures. I've seen postcards. I know there is, there's nothing more to discover, nothing more to learn by visiting these sites. It's just a waste of time, a waste of money. And they, that's usually the case in many places around the world, not just in Egypt, not just as I thought my parents just didn't feel like taking me. It's like it turns out a lot of people didn't, didn't do the same thing. There's little interest in that kind of thing. But with travelers, travelers, especially nowadays with internet, they tend to do their homework, they do research, they find out they have an, an itinerary where they're going to go and all the places and all the things that they should be on the lookout for and the experiences to look forward to. And travelers also, they have this wonderful balance because when you're in a foreign land, you know you're there temporarily. You're not going to go to your hotel room and start redecorating. Like, I don't know that, I don't like the painting on the wall, put a new painting. Uh, I don't know the color of the walls or the carpets. Or maybe I'll change the carpet. They don't do it. Nobody does that. No one would do that. So they have this balance. They understand that we're here for a short period. We're here for something else. We're here for a bigger purpose. And they have a balance between being where they're, where they're at and knowing that they belong somewhere else. They're citizens of somewhere else. So let's say they need something. They need shampoo. Back home, they have a favorite kind of shampoo, favorite kind of conditioner. This is what I use. Uh, this is what I, uh, what I like, this is what works for me, but in a strange land, you make do with whatever, like, okay, this is what they have here, I'm only here for a week, like, it's not a big deal, I can do it, I can just use whatever is here, and it's fine, and I'll be okay, I'm here for something else anyways, I'm not here, you know, to make it as comfortable as possible, I'm not here to make it uh, just like home as possible, I'm actually here to make it so that I explore the culture, not just learn about the culture, but explore it, experience it. And as it turns out, a lot of, most of the people actually, if not all of them, who were there to hear the words of Christ were not from the local, they were not locals, they were travelers. They were coming from abroad, they were coming from afar. And because they were coming from afar, they had no idea where to go, what to do, so just waiting there for someone to tell them, maybe someone knows where we go to get food, to get provisions, to get lodging. They have they just have no idea. But the idea about being a traveler, it turns out this is a theme in the Bible, especially in writings of the apostles. Being a traveler, being a stranger. And they picked up on Abraham. 
being a traveler, being a stranger, called out from his father's house to go into the wilderness. In your father's house, there's nothing wrong with your father's house. Everything's okay. like your father's, your family, nothing wrong with, with family, nothing wrong with being home. But the idea of being a traveler changes everything. There's a, there's a thing about being a traveler where you're eager to know, eager to explore, eager to learn and to experience. And we even find this eagerness present sometimes in the church. When someone comes in from the church, they're talking about the church versus someone who's been in the church for a very long time. They tend to say, like, I already know or I'm already familiar. And they may even feel like I don't need to, to learn as much or to read as much. Whereas someone coming in new, they tend to say, like, I know nothing. I need to know and learn as much as possible, read as much as I can, experience as much as I can. And that's what it means like, what it means to be a traveler. Someone who's not from here, who's here for a short amount of time, who's a citizen of somewhere else. In his, second, in his first epistle, St. Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Now, St. Peter is writing to the Israelites who are no longer living at home in Israel. They're living abroad, they're the diaspora. They've been dispersed all over the world because of the Roman persecution, so they're not living there anymore. They're living abroad. So he's calling them sojourners and pilgrims because on one level, they literally are strangers in a strange land. But on another level, he reminds that, and St. Paul reminds them too, and all of us, that our citizenship is heavenly. Our stay here is temporary. So that means that we either say that we ignore here because we're here for a short amount of time and all in favor of where we are going, or perhaps there is another balance that we're called to strike. Being here means there is an opportunity, an opportunity to transform, to transfigure the world. We're not just here because like anything else, things can be turned into a consumer culture type thing where you go to places, not to experience the place, but to buy things and to, to eat things and to explore, to, to, not to explore things, but to just own as much as possible and to gather as much as possible because I'm here for a short amount of time. I want to make as much as possible and, 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 and take, take in as much as possible, right? But it's not that we're, that we're called to do. We're called to do something else. We're called to be wherever we are, the light of the world, wherever we are, the salt of the earth. And that's why these people who are travelers, they didn't feel like leaving home and following Christ. By the way, right before they followed him, he sent the 12 disciples into every town and village and country where he intended to go. And they preached his name. They preached the good news of salvation. They preached and they, they, they did miracles. They healed the sick. And everybody started gathering to Christ. They wanted to know. They wanted to know what this good news is all about. Is it just about the law being fulfilled? Is it, you know, finally we're going to be saved from the, the Pharisees, from the Romans, from the tyranny of everyone that's oppressing us? No. We're going to be saved from something else, the tyranny of sin. And it's not that we're called to leave the world, abandon the world. We're called to transform and transfigure the world where we are. And that's why as travelers, as sojourners, as strangers in a strange land, 
we're called to have the same eagerness, keeping an eye on heaven, but at the same time, not forgetting where we are and the responsibilities that we have to where we are here and now. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.